right, everybody. Welcome to week nine, is it now? Of so. Beer and Bullshit with Corey McGee and Jason Boisneau. It's our podcast that we uh, do here in my basement in Timmins, uh, talking to cool people, doing cool things in uh, Timmins and surrounding area. And uh, tonight we're very, very excited to welcome uh, our Member of Parliament, Mr. Charlie Angus, for the riding of Timmins James Bay. How are you doing tonight, Charlie? Hey, it's great to... It's great to be here in the basement and with a Les Paul Jr. on the wall and a, and a Gibson SG. I'm feeling right at home. Feeling right at home. Eh? Well, Charlie's a music guy, so we're. Uh, I think we're kind of in sync here. We're in. The, we're on the same uh, on the same level. So, uh, what we do here on Beer and Bullshit is we we sit here and shoot the shit while we drink some beer and uh, talk about some cool stuff that's going on uh, in just in around the area and also uh, with uh, in, in our guest's wheelhouse. So I guess, uh, I mean, most of the people listening to this should know about you and should know what you're about and, uh, and who you are. But uh, for anybody who, who might not be totally familiar about what you do, uh, give us, enlighten us a little bit. What, what does our member of parliament do? I've been the elected member of parliament for Tim and James Bay for 12 years. Right now I'm the national president of the federal NDP caucus. So I chair the meetings, keep things moving with our caucus in Ottawa. Um, I'm the spokesperson on Indigenous Affairs. We always have different roles to play. When I first elected, I, was, I dealt with agriculture. I dealt with uh, arts, culture, sports. Spending. I dealt with government relations. These are all sp- sort of specific roles in Parliament that you have to sort of study, know, become the ex- expert on. I handled the whole copyright file during the whole digital era and the fight over copyright and whether we sue fans or how do we get artists paid. Napster days. Yeah, I was like the Napster file was my file. So you know, I I did different things over the years. Uh, right now, I'm um, in the last parliament against harper i was the one dealing with all the issues of corruption the the deals in the senate so it's uh you every day's a, every day is exam day every day you're going in and you're being tested on something you didn't know the thing about the day before you learn to think on your feet you put a team together that's really on their game i hired my staff to put a killer band together and uh to me a good band isn't just great musicians it's people who can work together who listen to each other, who complement each other, and can survive in a van on a long night's drive <laughs> without killing each other. So that's my staff, and uh, so they've got my back. On top of that, um, we got a riding that's bigger than Great Britain. Oh, my goodness, yeah. And, you know, I mean, it's getting Mrs. O'Grady's hydro turned back on in the winter. It's making sure that a you know, young mom from Keshechuan is in Timmins in a motel, and they're going to kick her out. And uh, we're saying, hey, no, she's staying the extra night. Uh, not that the motel's kicking her out. This is the government kicking her out and saying, no, her kid's going to get medical treatment and you're going to make sure they cover the medical treatment. That's mm-hmm. what we do in my office, uh, mm-hmm. making sure people get screwed over on their pensions. They call us. We're going to go to bat for you. We don't win all our fights, but we win a lot of them. And you win them by having your facts together, by not being afraid to speak up. You know, you're going to be polite to people, but it's like, wait a minute, there's an issue here. Somebody's got to fix this, and we're going to stay on you till it gets done. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what I do. So you feel that uh, if you had to call it advocacy, would that be the first and foremost thing that you would say, or even you know just representation in general? But but pushing it a little bit further and calling it advocacy, would you? See yeah, I, I you know I think 
politicians do different things. Uh, I mean, I do, you know, I study legislation. I'm a lawmaker, technically. That's what we do. We, mm-hmm. we make the laws of the country. We review laws. But I'm there to fight for the little guy. Uh, I'm the voice of people who don't have a voice. I'm the person who in Ottawa is going to stand up for our region. And I don't, you know, if I got to knock someone into the boards who's not paying attention, I'll do it. It's not that it's, I, it's not my first recourse, but I fight like hell for our people. And, you know, we can do it the easy way or the hard way, but we're going to do it one way or the other. We're mm-hmm. going to do the right thing for the people of our region. And that's that's how I see my job, and I and I love doing it. I've... After 12 years, I'm not cynical about the work. I love the work. Am I cynical about some politics? Yeah. Am mm-hmm. I cynical about how government works? Yeah. But the people that I represent, man, I love them. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a blast. Every day there's something new, and every day we got to fight on our hands, and, and that's what I like to do. Mm-hmm. And you're obviously very passionate about what you do, and um, ju- just hearing you talk about it here, you can, you can just even sense it in your voice. But I, I think... A lot of the times, and being a member of the NDP, uh, which you know you were the official opposition last uh, the last parliament, uh, and uh, unfortunately uh, kind of ended up uh, losing that position in the mm-hmm. last last election. Um, what do you say to the people? And, and I guess I kind of half know this answer, but what do you say to the people of around here who just are start are, feel frustrated by not having a member of parliament from the party that's majority government or, or is in power in government you know it's the oldest story i've ever heard in timmins oh you gotta have someone on the government side you know we'll suddenly count for something in timmins if we if we got a backbencher on the government side well you know i i've been told this stuff's been fed to me my whole life let me put it to you this way we were told in the last election get someone from the liberals and you'll have someone sitting at the table so what do they do um they get to power They've canceled all our northern broadband projects. Uh, they're getting rid of the Fednor minister from northern Ontario. Well, wait a minute. Wasn't that the guy who was supposed to be sitting at the table speaking for us? You get taken for granted sometimes uh, if you're not willing to stand up. So if you're uh, on the government side, your job is to go back to the riding and tell them what Ottawa wants. Um, I've been very effective in opposition, and Gilles Bisson has been very effective provincially by saying, wait a minute, we're going to work these things out and we're going to get stuff done. So, yeah, it would have been great to be government, and we sh- we we blew that last election. But it's really important not to get suckered in that just because you got a backbencher on the government side is going to send you pictures of the prime minister every six months when you write to him on your pensions uh, coming apart or you're a Nortel employee and you're saying, hey, we're, we're, what happened to all those promises you guys made? And he sends you an autographed picture of the prime minister. Uh, you know, you send people down there to stand up for you and sometimes they got to take the government power on, even if it's their own government. And mm-hmm. often these backbenchers just don't do that. They told the party line. They told the party line, yeah. I should mention, uh, actually, I brought Corey out to the one of the uh, debates here yes. in town during the last election. And uh, after, and I'll, he might, tell me if I'm wrong, Corey, uh, you converted Corey <laughs> you to, my the, vote. to the NDP yeah. after he watched you. And okay. actually, you said, you, and I remember he mentioned to me, it was the, the fact that he said you don't just want a bag man. No, over yeah. it. I was in, just about in, to mention in, that in Ottawa, and yeah. I thought that I I really liked it too, but I was already on your side. So well, it's that. actually I find it. Um, I've always found it really insulting. This idea that, uh, and you, you get fed this all the time up here. You get someone on the government side, and he's going to bring money to the riding. Yeah. You know, he's going to bring time. the big things, and it's like, what are we? Are we, uh, you know, just a bunch of people who sit back and wait for some, you know, 
big daddy to come and give us yeah. money. That's not how it works. And I don't think it should work that way. And I think it's wrong for anyone to claim that a member of parliament should be bringing money to the riding. Money should go where projects are good. It. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. If yeah. you've got a good idea, that's what government should do. Not because you got the secret handshake and Buddy slaps you on the back and says, don't, t- don't worry, pal, I'll take this to the minister. That would be such a corrupt debasement of politics yeah. you want if you've got a good plan i don't care if and i'll fight for i i've had people from other writings come and say hey would you fight for my program even in government areas and i said yeah it's a good program i'm not feeling timmins is going to lose out mm-hmm. if i'm supporting a program elsewhere i want good projects for the north i want good ideas that's what government should be about it shouldn't be us just saying vote for me and i'm going to get you some money yeah and you'll find no argument with me on mm-hmm. that i i think what uh, it kind of points to a larger issue of the fact that people perceive it that that that's how things work, and uh, I think you'd be hard pressed for anybody to not agree that that that's just corruption in its very nature. But uh, just the fact that that's the way everybody perceives government and how it works is that not indicative of failure on government's part? Well, I think it's a uh, part of uh, one of we have a lot of problems in terms of how we look at democracy and democratic accountability and it's a serious thing you look at trump in the states and we're all laughing at him but it's not all that funny because uh when you debase public service to that level and you turn it into a freak show like you saw with the rob ford years uh with some of the antics i've seen in parliament at the end of the day politics should be about public service and you should have people that you're proud of Hmm. and they should be there to represent the best of who we are now it's it's a dem- democracy is based on ordinary people. So you know what? You're going to have some brilliant people. You're going to have some really dumb people. You're going to have some people who are <laughs> just say really freaking crazy things. Mm-hmm. That's okay. But we should be expecting that our politicians represent something better. And I don't care what party you're in. And I don't care if you vote for me or you don't care for vote for me. I want you to be proud that when I'm down there, I'm not making a fool of myself just for the cameras. I'm actually doing something for you. And and it's been a, it's been a fun time. I you know I regularly talk with you know conservative people in my riding in, in our riding who say you know I'll vote for you because I like what you do. You know I've had liberals say to me I'm a lifelong liberal, but I I support the work you do. We don't always agree. That's okay. Mm-hmm. You know you know politician beware of a politician who always agrees with you. Yep. If they're always agreeing with you, man, you can't trust them, if right? they're telling you exactly what you want to if hear. You, yeah, if it's like if you're always telling you, yeah, man, I'll do that, I'll do that, you know they don't got your back. So sometimes you got to sometimes you got to say as a politician, listen, I, I, I really appreciate you calling me and I don't mind you yelling at me, but um, this is where I stand. And at the end of the day, you get to add it all up, the pluses and the minuses, and you get to vote for me. And either I pass that test or I don't. And that's a good way of holding people to account. Yeah, and and I mean, I I can't disagree on standing on principle or anything like that. I I just um, I'm waiting for a butt. It sounds like you're going to give me a butt here after. Butts are okay. (laughs) Butts are all right. There's nothing wrong with butts. I think what what I have uh, a harder time, and I like this idea of being able to uh, to exchange ideas in good faith, right? Yeah. The, that that we can just actually just uh, appreciate the fact that somebody has a different point of view, and we we can go back and forth. But it it just doesn't seem to be the way things work. So what what you're describing to me as what should be going on doesn't necessarily seem that that's what's going on, and I think a lot of people. 
just become disillusioned by politics. Mm-hmm. That's why you hear so much of this, like, ah, I don't pay attention to politics. Yeah. I'm, I'm just sick and tired of listening to them bicker. So w- would you say that you know, somebody who, who's willing to listen to, to other points of view and willing to have his mind changed by other people's points of view, um, do you think that you're somebody who's in the minority I think uh, politicians from across the political spectrum in this parliament um, are frustrated, I think, by some some ways that parliament has developed. Uh, I think we could probably move to a more uh, equitable way or a more f- – a better way of debating. Uh, it doesn't mean we have to throw the whole system out, but there's ways we could make it better. Uh, what I was really struck – I was in England. It was part of a parliamentary meeting and, wow, it's – it's the mother parliament, we all say. You know, it's where we learned all our tricks from or mm. all our stuff. But they've got some fundamental differences. They're committees. Now, this, I just want to explain what committees are, is that you have the House of Commons and you have question period and you have the debate back and forth. But you have a whole series of, they're called standing committees, and they deal with natural resources, environment, culture, agriculture, foreign affairs, defense, government spending, Indian uh, affairs, and these are standing committees that meet four hours a week, and that's where a lot of the work of parliament gets done. It's where you have witnesses. It's like being in sort of a court. You've got witnesses. You're doing studies. You're doing reports. If the committees had more power um, to actually influence parliament and they were less uh, divided by partisan lines, I think – I mean it's a technical thing, and for people who don't pay much attention, they don't – they think, oh, what's he talking about? But it it's an area where things could be really, I think, move us forward. And I, I go back to this story. When I was in England, I sat at a committee meeting of foreign affairs, and I couldn't tell who was the government and who were the opposition members. Whereas on our side, government's one side, opposition's the other. Government says one thing pro, opposition says one thing negative. Mm-hmm. And there I was at this committee meeting about the the dictatorship in Myanmar, and I couldn't tell who was on what side. And they were they all knew their file, like the back of their hand. These guys all knew their, their stuff. And I was like, wow. Man, imagine if you came to one of our committees and you couldn't tell if it was government or opposition. Everybody was there to say, how do we make legislation better? So that's, I mean, I'm not a policy wonk guy, but there's better ways we can do parliament. And, and one thing I'll say for the new prime minister uh, is that he's, he's toned down the nastiness substantially. Stephen Harper elevated the nastiness. And when people aren't throwing insults at each other, there's a little more respect. Sometimes they just pat you on the head, but a little more respect helps people to actually say, well, you know what? Maybe that's not such a bad idea. And if people could agree that sometimes things aren't (laughs) such a bad idea, maybe you're not going to say it's a great idea, but then you actually start talking. So that's what we need to get Parliament more like that. To start finding more common ground. More common ground, converging on points rather than hammering them past everyone through whatever tricks you you can find, right? Yeah, Um, I think one of uh, of the things that uh, you were saying, uh, how the current Prime Minister has toned down a lot of the nastiness – See, I, I when you're talking about the patting on the head analogy, I, I just have a hard time swallowing that that whole uh, idea. I feel like it's almost more disrespectful to be patted on the head than to yeah. be just shown your position outright and like, you know what, you guys don't like it, screw you, you know? Well, you know, there, there, is, a, there is a total disrespect to just being falsely nice. 
Yeah. Um, and you're starting to see that it's one of the failures of the new government is that they're they're making this sort of facade of niceness mm. uh, seem like they actually care what you think. And, and, and it's all about decorum and maybe we should be better behaved. And I keep saying to people, you know, I went to Ottawa to speak truth to power. I didn't go there that we would be this little private club where we all patted each other on the heads. If I ask a question, I want an answer. And if I get drivel, and I'm getting drivel day after day, I'm just getting nice drivel now. Well, the last government gave me nasty drivel. Mm -hmm. But my role as an opposition is to say, these are important questions. If I'm asking them in a respectful manner, if I'm asking them with a, uh, that I've done my homework, then you have an obligation to give me an answer. You can say no. You can say yes. You can say, well, we had to do it because. But this kind of like talking points, spin, this rhetoric... That's why people tune out of politics, mm-hmm. and they're going to tune out on this new prime minister pretty quick if he doesn't start just giving people some st- straight talk. Mm-hmm. Is what Canadians want. Mm-hmm. They're going to they're going to forgive you a ton of indiscretions if you just talk straight to them. But just talking in this sort of fabricated professional niceness of politicians, yeah, patting on the head. I don't want to be patted on the head. Mm-hmm. And and maybe like I know me and Jason have had these kinds of discussions quite a few times and uh, maybe I'm a little bit more cynical or I've grown cynical about politics especially at the federal level it, that it it just starts to I feel like the electorate has a short attention not attention span but short memory you know um, that once uh, they've tuned out to the the government and just said ah you know what they're just going to do what they're what they're going to do for the next four years and then election time comes around and the campaigns are flashy and they're fancy and uh, you know the words are nice and people buy into it and it's I mean I it's frustrating it's frustrating to watch and I feel like uh, people who who feel like they have legitimate questions and, and grievances. That's where uh, you know somebody who could have had one of those great ideas just decides to go. Nah, you know what? Mm-hmm. I, I don't have the time for it, and it's uh, I, I don't I don't know what the answer is to something like that. Uh, I think a, a good start is is really have electing politicians that that even if you don't agree with everything that they say or everything that they, every position that they take, that they just mean, they at least mean what they say. And they're going to, they're going to represent you according to what they're saying they're going to do. And, uh, you know, when somebody, when a government gets into power and, uh, they start doing things and everybody starts going up in arms about it and they were actually telling you what they were going to do. Like, uh, I think they, you saw that in the States when, was it? The, the Tea Party candidates uh, took over like the, the mm. Senate and, and Congress mm. and they started doing exactly what they were Yeah, they were going <laughs> to stop government. They were going to stop government, you know, and, uh, and, and people started losing their minds because it's so different, right? It's just so different than what people have come to expect from politicians. And um, I, I don't know. I don't know what bright ideas we, we could have to, to move that forward. But I mean, having discussions like this and, and being able, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm really happy to have you on tonight to be able to kind of show that mm-hmm. and, uh, and show that you're one of these people, I don't know, I would say a, a shining light, <laughs> light at the end of the tunnel to at least show that there is some integrity and, uh, and respect left in politics. Well, I think it, thank you for that. But it comes down to, I mean, I can be very cynical about politics, and I can be very cynical about politicians, and I believe the system fails people a lot of the time. I mean, as Winston Churchill said, it's the worst system in the world. The only thing worse are the alternatives. Uh, <laughs> you know, 
So uh, when people That's tell good. me, oh, I don't vote, I don't like politicians, it's like, yeah, neither do I. Um, so let me put it to you this way. Wouldn't you rather have a good person in than a bad person? Because bad people can make really bad decisions. Lazy people can make very bad decisions. That's why I got involved in politics. I didn't believe that sitting in parliament was going to be this, you know, I was going to be the knight in shining armor. I saw people getting elected who didn't do their homework, who who rubber stamped things that shouldn't have been rubber stamped, who went along with things because, you know, the boys in the back room told them it was a great idea and patted them on the head. Uh, I got involved in politics. I saw the damage that that did. Mm-hmm. And I think that if you start with a position that you don't want people who are going to make bad decisions for you because they can have a profound impact. And you can say politics doesn't matter. But, you know, man, after I, the Mike Harris years, I learned, well, that doesn't quite work, <laughs> does it? So you want people there who are going to at least stand up to those things and at least do their homework. So if you start at least with a pr- principle of, well, maybe if you're not going to have great politicians, at least, you know, bad politicians. Yeah, yeah. But then you start to see that that's when the, the yardsticks get start to get moved. If you can start to move a positive movement here and a positive movement there, it actually can make a huge difference for people. So uh, part of what I do is the long game, and part of what I do is the short game. The long game is, is I figure if I'm there long enough, we're going to actually move some of these yardsticks down the field, and things are going to be fair. The short game is it's like no freaking way are you going to do something that crazy on my watch, and I'll, I'll put a stop to it if I have to, or say to them, listen, between you and me, let's do this. This is a good thing. It'll work for us cross party lines do this so you want people there who actually read their notes who show up for work and they don't have to be the brightest light in the universe they don't have to be the most articulate but just you want to elect people who do the work mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. so i i got a question we've uh, discussed mm-hmm. this with other uh, guests before and just between Corey and i um seems right now in the world or somewhat there's a growing voice on kind of a I would say right wing, but the the decisive politics or device divisive politics, uh, and it kind of seems to be really pushed by like a populist movement mm-hmm. where you know no matter you know my voice has to be heard and oh he's saying what I'm saying awesome, and we we've always discussed you know like I guess one thing is first is do you think that is a, a growing thing and that's becoming more common and do you see it as a kind of a a threat to a a a the trusteeship foreign government that we're supposed to have you know like we're supposed to entrust you going to going to parliament to make decisions on our our uh, on our behalf but now with kind of like just populist movement where people just want their their stuff answered regardless if they know if it's good or bad for them uh do you see this being a, a growing thing and do you see that becoming more and more common in currently in par- parliament or in the world i think what you're seeing is a growing mistrust of the professional political class oh. this idea trust us and we know what is good for you it has alienated a lot of people um, because you you see on issues of trade, you see on a whole manner of issues that there's a professional class of people who actually are not connected to real life. And they're making decisions and people are getting left behind. Mm-hmm. My concern about populism, I don't think there's anything bad about populism. I think populism should be a good thing. We should be speaking for ordinary people. Mm-hmm. I think where the left has failed is that the left has gotten more and more and more uh, obsessed with sometimes political purity, sometimes ideology, uh, sometimes policy, that we forget who we speak for. Mm-hmm. And so there's a faux populism, which is Donald Trump. 
uh, and yes. Brexit. Yeah. You know, give me a break. Here's a freaking billionaire who doesn't pay taxes telling, you know, oh, the unemployed uh, worker in the Rust Belt that I got your back. Yeah. It's like, give me a freaking break. You don't have a populist bone in your body. You just say ignorant things and say that's populism. Well, the ordinary people that I know don't vote for people because they say ignorant things. They, they want to vote for you because you've got their back. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's where the left has a big challenge is that we've got to stop – navel gazing and stop talking um i don't know who we're talking to sometimes i know who i represent tim and james bay mm-hmm. you know i represent the single mom who works nights to put her kid through university and is falling behind that's who i represent i represent people who sometimes wonder why they vote because they're they've been working contract after contract after contract and they're still making minimum wage and they're still not paying their student debt that's who i represent i represent Ordinary people. I know them because I talk to them all the time. So I speak their language. That's my job. Mm-hmm. But that's what we need to do about real populism. There's nothing to be shamed about in populism, but right-wing populism is, is a faux populism, and we see it with Brexit, and we see it with Trump, and uh, we see it with Kelly Leach. I mean, mm-hmm. give, me a f- give me a break. Here's, here's this wealthy doctor, you know. Yeah, but she's uh, against the elites. <laughs> going against the elites. It's like... <laughs> Kelly, come on. When was the last time you were ever in a Northern Ontario bar? Like, But, you know, this is this faux populism. It's like she's passing herself off as some kind of like... Every person. Every person. (laughs) Doctorates, MBA, whatever else. I don't know what else she's done, but it's like she doesn't even sound natural when she sort of rants (laughs) against the elites. It's uh, it's, it's hmm. not, and it's not that people who who are academics or uh, have um, have achieved certain things in their lives aren't uh, aren't able to be populist yeah. and aren't able to be connected to the everyday person it's just when you fake it when you yeah. feign it and yeah, you yeah. and you do it for political gain yeah. that uh, while well, it's pretty disgusting yeah. and it's it, i don't know i'm i'm hopeful at least that now it's starting to come off a little goofy like that that picture with the the flag, oh, the flag. flag. Oh, I know. Fantastic. Yeah, that, oh, wow. I thought it, I thought it was photoshopped. It I was looks like, man, it looks so come fake. on. That's I, I was going to post it on Facebook, and I thought I was going to get called out for you know getting punked. You know, uh, and I was like, no, that's a real picture. But you know, to your point, Jack Layton. I mean, his father was a cabinet minister. His father was a conservative cabinet minister under Brian Mulroney, and Jack Layton was a PhD academic. Jack Layton never talked like a PhD academic son of a cabinet minister. Jack Layton talked like ordinary people because Jack Layton loved ordinary people and he worked for ordinary people. Mm-hmm. So there's nothing wrong with being an intellectual. There's nothing wrong with coming from an elite family. It's what are your politics? Mm-hmm. And so, um, well, you know, when Kelly Leach is ranting about elites, it's like, come on, Kelly. Like most people would die to have the kind of money that you take for granted. So just be honest. And yeah. people see through that. And I think Canadians, it's the one thing I really like about Canadians, our bullshit detectors run pretty high, <laughs> yeah. you know? So people look at that well, and say... tuned into this program. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, there you go, bullshit and beer. So they look at that and they go, yeah, nah, that's not real. Whereas they looked at Jack, who came from a well, you know, I mean, his dad was a cabinet minister, yeah. you know? And they said, yeah, you know what, Jack? He actually sounds like he knows what he's talking about and he sounds like he cares. So I like him. And that's, that's the difference. Yeah, and and you can feel it, right? Um, I want to get into a little bit on how, like, where it all started for you. But before we do that, Jay always likes to talk to us a little bit about our uh, 
our beverage right. of choice tonight. Okay. So our beverage of choice tonight is a side launch out of uh, Collingwood, Canada. So it's up on the screen right there for you. That's at the uh, uh, ratebeer.com. This is actually rated 97 uh, by all the uh, the raters, which is... Who uh, rates this stuff? Might be one of the highest... I think it's the highest we've seen so okay, far. Okay, I have not seen this beer. Could you pass me yeah, the can? So I need to look at this. So, so we sure. like to get okay. uh, a lot of the independent Ontario beers. So this is uh, one of them, of course, uh, from uh, well, Collingwood. Uh, so this is... This is a German hyphen. Uh, John's going to hate me for this. Hyphen Wesen? Hefewesen. Hefewesen? Okay, anyways, some German uh, type of wheat uh, beer. If we're going to be a beer oh, yeah. program, we, we should learn, to the learn to pronounce these things. Oh, yeah. Well, first of all, my father, uh, my grandfather, Mervyn Fuller, did not uh, teach me enough German. <laughs> he should have. We never did. Uh, so this uh, is an authentic Bavarian-style wheat beer uh, served unfiltered with natural yeast and proteins. Formerly known as Denison Weizenbier, uh, Michael Hancock is now brewing it at Side Launch Brewing. So they have uh, their the local uh, brewer, uh, Mike San- uh, Hancock. So this is actually, uh, I, I got to say, rated 97 uh, for a wheat beer. I really enjoy it. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm. You know what? I'm a polling next time. I say, out of a ten, this will be my first, my first nine. Your first nine. That's yeah. generous. All right. Well, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to go to the beer store and pick up Side Launch Brewing Company. I'm gonna pick up this, and we will compare. And it's five point three percent. Yes. So that's, yeah, it's that's a, reasonable. Yeah, it's a good. Yeah. Uh, it's a good stronger beer. Not yep. it's not a light beer. Uh, light, light tasting though. Yeah, it's got super a good, light. Uh, yeah. sweetness to mm-hmm. it. If I had to rate it out of ten, I'd probably give it a seven because I like bitter. Yeah, but I'm, I'm saying comparing to a wheat beer. Compared to another wheat beer, I don't know. I don't drink I really a lot of like wheat this. beer, but this is uh, it's it's good. Yeah. I could I could see myself yeah. drinking uh, a dozen of these. <laughs> and how do you rate Sudbury Saturday night? I oh. I actually enjoy Sudbury Saturday night. Uh, I would I would give it a good eight. Solid eight. We've had some stack. What did we have for stack? We last had time? Impact. Impact. The impact last time. Alt beer from Stack yeah. in Sudbury. Okay. Yeah. It's uh, it was good. It is solid. Yeah, solid, it was good. solid beer. Yeah, we. I think we in, indulged a little bit that night. Yeah. So we, <laughs> it's yeah. a little bit of a sloppier podcast, but it was it was fun. And actually, I had Stack. We had a uh, Corey and I hosted a uh, beer tasting or beer pairing event one time, and we had Old Stack beer. Well, Corey was the the MC for the event. Uh, but yeah, no, we had Old Stack beer, and uh, it was at the time Impact, I believe, was called Angry Moose. Mm-hmm. Until they got sued, yes. yeah. or 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 not, or cease and desist. Uh, so yeah, no, uh, but no, I love stack. Actually, stack's great. Actually, I thought that was going to be a t-shirt today. Wearing a shirt today. Wear today. <laughs> not quite. Eh? No, so that's what we're drinking tonight is side launch, side launch out of uh, where did you say Collingwood? Collingwood, ooh, beautiful place. So moving along. That's Sorry, I believe Collingwood, isn't that uh, uh, where Kelly uh, Leak's uh, from? <laughs> <laughs> She's from Simcoe, I believe. Okay, right. Which might, I don't know. Might intersect, you never know. Right? It's, it's, it's south of Latchford. <laughs> it's south, south of Latchford. True. <laughs> That's good. Somewhere. Yeah, mo- mo- most people who are listening to this podcast from like Hearst and Capus Casing are saying, yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so I, I, you know, that said, that's what we're drinking tonight. And uh, I said that I, I wanted to get into a little bit why uh, you got into politics. And and I'd read up a little bit on this. I mean, I did read your Wikipedia page before this. That's the research I do. I know, <laughs> I know my file back in <laughs> like the back of my head. Um, and uh, there, there was a, there was something about the the Adams Mine and. Uh, the uh, some activism that was going around uh, the dumping of garbage from down south 
Um, if I, I'll allow you to elaborate a little bit on that. Uh, and if I'm not mistaken, that's kind of what catalyzed your movement into politics. Yeah, well, I mean, first off, uh, I've always, I see life as an adventure. So I've always just done it. Um, I left school to tour with a punk rock band. Uh, awesome, by the way. <laughs> L'Etranger. And I uh, just decided, well, we'll learn how to play, and this is what we're going to do. And we did it. And uh met my wife when I was 19, and uh, we fell in love. And we decided we were going to start taking in homeless people. And we bought a house. We didn't even know what a mortgage was. And we did that in the downtown and we, of Toronto. And we, we lived with guys coming out of prison, uh, refugees, runaways. And uh, I learned a lot. I decided we were going to move up north. Uh, I was a carpenter. I was a chimney sweep. Uh, I built barns. Decided we were going to be journalists. We started a magazine, which brings me to the Adams Mine. I was never really, I, I was very political, but I never thought much about politicians. And so the Adams Mine garbage dump was the biggest waste proposal in Canadian history at the time. Well, it still is. And I went to cover it for our little magazine, and it was such a crazy idea that I kind of laughed at first. I didn't actually think something this crazy could get pushed ahead because the old fractured pits at the Adams Mine, I mean, it's incredible these, that, that these pits are massive, and they're badly fractured from years of blasting. And it was half full with groundwater because when you stop pumping, anybody out there who's been in the mines knows you stop pumping, the groundwater will find its natural table, which is the same table as all the water along the same sort of latitude. And so the groundwater flows in and it flows out. And suddenly they were like, no, 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 uh, these, these pits are impermeable. Water only flows in. Water doesn't flow through. And all the miners were like, what are you talking about? Like the mine, the water always flowed out of the south pit of the mine, flew in from the north pit of the mine. And um, I said, no, no, we'll, we'll get a pump and we'll run it for a thousand years. It's like, wait a minute, you're going to run a pump for a thousand years? Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, we don't need to put a liner in it. We'll just put gravel. It's like, do you see how badly... Uh, badly fractured the rock walls are and so I go there and I'm hearing farmers talking about groundwater and I'm hearing miners and I'm seeing these experts and these experts they don't care what the question is they've got an answer for it but it's not a credible answer it's like well that can't be there's there's no there's no fractures on our map well your map doesn't show anything it's something you drew so <laughs> So this is the beginning of my political, you know, the end of my political virginity here. It's like, wait a minute, you hire high-priced experts to tell you what you want? Well, welcome to Public Process 101. They, they bring in hired guns, and hired guns will say, well, what do you need us to say? You want us to say it's safe? We'll find a way to say it's safe. So you think, okay, well, then it'll go to the Ministry of Environment, and the Ministry of Environment will say, you're crazy, this isn't going to pass. And the Ministry of Environment signs off. Well, why does the Ministry of Environment sign off? Well, because the government of Mike Harris is tied into the garbage pits, and he's going to make it happen. And you start to see, well, wait a minute, this is a really crazy plan, and nobody can run a, a, a pump for a thousand years in a badly fractured pit with water flowing through it without causing enormous environmental damage. And at every step of the way, the people who should have stood up, who should have, you thought someone was going to come forward. You know, a scientist, an expert, a politician, nobody opposed it because there was big money and it was Northern Ontario. And you know what? 
Northern Ontario, why not send the garbage there? I heard that from people. What's what's up there? So they were going to send 20 million tons of garbage, at least. That was the beginning phase. It was probably more like 60 million tons because they would have used the other pits. Plus, a toxic waste incinerator was going to start to bring in toxic soil from Mexico to burn full of PCBs in a farm area. Um, So I started to move from a journalist to an activist because this was bogus. There was no way this was credible. And... As we went through the process, I saw more and more people rubber stamping it. So what you saw on the other side is that ordinary farm people and native people and farmers and miners were starting to get more and more militant because nobody was listening. And it led to huge blockades, huge civil disobedience, huge public action. And it took that in order to get a project this crazy scrapped. That, to me, was the total political awakening. I swore I would never be in a situation again where something that that could be that detrimental to our region would be passed, that I'm sitting on the sidelines or on a blockade. I'm going to be there the next time these decisions are made, and I'm going to make sure that due diligence is done, and if the project's not good, it ain't going to have to take massive civil disobedience because the role of the public servants, the politicians, the elected people is to defend the the region, not to rubber stamp. And so that, to me, was the beginning of a real political awakening. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, just that that one sentence that you said, you, you moved from a journalist to an activist at that point. You, 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 you ceased just watching the situation objectively or... Uh, um, and, and and you pick the side, yeah, you know, and and I think um, I don't know. I, I've been kind of pondering this a little bit uh, lately. This idea of objectivity. Um, we had, uh, and I'm just relating this back to ourselves and our podcast here today. Uh, I, I sent the direct message out to a prospective guest who shall remain nameless right now, but uh, I I indicated to him that what we do here is far from journalism. Mm-hmm. We we have opinions. We don't attempt to hide them uh but it's important to have those opinions kind of meet each other yeah and and like i it's kind of going back to the point of what we were talking about earlier this idea that we're just going to uh tell everybody what they want to hear and everything's going to sound like everybody's getting along and everything's good when there are clearly two sides to every issue and and you know damn it one side should win you know, and and there are some people per, representing certain interests, and some people representing other interests, and it's up to us as a society to really make that decision as to which interests are going are going to win out on every issue. So you know, damn political identity, whether par, what party you end uh-huh. up on, I, I'd I'd much rather see people line up. Uh, just according to every issue, regardless yep. of your political stripes, you know, this idea of party politics, it's just so antiquated now. Well, I mean, party politics plays a certain role uh, because um, uh, I, I, I see how you have to have a, you have to have a platform, a plan. You can't just come in and, in, especially in parliament, things are so big to, to actually to keep track of everything. People send me messages, say, where do you stand on Bill C so-and-so, like Bill 39 or Bill... I say, man, I don't know what that bill is. It's like, <laughs> I gotta look... You know, it's like, there's a ton of legislation. So yeah. part of what party politics does is actually, it's kind of like organizing your team is going in there. You gotta have people who can cover off on this. 
But the lesson I learned from Adam's mine was we had a policy in the fight against Adam's mine. You park your politics at the door. We were all there to fight the garbage. So we had liberals. We had conservatives. Um, we had francophones and anglophones, First Nation farmers, um, blue-collar people, ex-miners, environmentalists. What did we have? We were northerners. And I learned a lot from that, that we found a common ground, and we said we'll be stronger if we fight together. So in my party politics, I've always thought about that. It's like, you know, I don't care if you vote for me. That's okay. You don't have to vote for me. I still work for you. Mm-hmm. If you've got a good idea, I want to hear it. Um, we don't have to agree on everything. And so if we're going to go to party politics, then we've got to find ways also to make sure that we're representing the best of our region, regardless of our partisan nature. And, and there are some politicians who don't really have much party background on anything, and there's others who are bitterly partisan. And if you're bitterly partisan, man, you know, the world doesn't need that, right? It's like... I like talking to the conservatives in my riding. I like talking to the liberals in my riding. I like talking to the people who don't like politicians, period. But they got <laughs> they they might like me or they want me to do something. Yeah. So, you know, we're stronger together. So that's kind of the politics I like to do. I'm 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 proudly New Democrat, but I also say I'm also proudly a northerner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I I know Jason and I've had a lot of these discussions and and we tend to I I mean, I have a hard time especially now, uh, identifying with any particular party. Mm. I know how I vote and, and that's, that's just, you know, I, I'll vote wherever I need to vote on, on any given election. Um, but, but we have the, these discussions that it just discussions ends up being, or just yelling at each other. It's yeah, pretty yeah, much yeah. just yelling at each other. I tell him he's a dangerous man no. <laughs> where, where we just basically talk about specific issues and where we fall in certain positions. And I think, uh, you're, you're finding more and more of that as people kind of pull away from just politics in general, you can ask somebody how they feel about a specific issue like the Adam, the Adam's mind, uh, issue. And they'll tell you exactly what their position is and why they feel that position. And it has absolutely nothing to do with which party they, they subscribe to or which party they vote for. Now, um, you know, party politics at the government level, I think, makes a lot of sense, of course. Like you say, yeah. it's just uh, organizational. But when it comes to party membership and having regular people just uh, – like I'd love to see everybody just be independent right, mm. and, and float from wherever they need to be based on whatever issues are important to them. Uh, but I, I think it's more of a problem when it's amongst the general populace, right? Where people are 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 adhering to their party because you know my my papa, my grandpapa voted this, and that's that's the way that I'm going to keep voting. And really, with no um, no idea, I don't want to say no idea of what's going on, but just just doing it. And defending the party's position, and we all know how that that kind of uh, mental exercise is, right? Somebody challenges your point, you have that cognitive dissonance, and you, you have your position, and even though it's been disproven, you dig in anyways, right? And the more of that that goes on, the less the less kind of common ground we find. Right. Well, I mean, like uh, I became a new Democrat because I looked at who was fighting in our region, who stood up, who was there when we needed, who had our back, right? Jill Bisson was there right away, man. He just came in right out of nowhere. It was like, man, Jill was always there. Uh, you know, um, I looked at Marilyn Shirley in Toronto, Jack Layton, you know, at City Hall. There, there were other people who they talked nice to us, but they weren't there when the going got 
rough. And I remember when things got really rough on the Adams Mine, a lot of people then didn't, we weren't all that popular down in Toronto, a bunch of Northerners. We caused <laughs> havoc for them. And Jack always took time. And he was a new Democrat. So I kind of thought, oh, well, you know, I never really thought of myself as a party person. I kind of thought, well, I guess I'm a new Democrat because... You know pe- who's got your back. I know who's got my back, yeah. 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 So, uh, you know, my grandmother was a hardcore NDPer back in the day, fighting in, you know, my dad, grandfather died at the mine and getting the pension, and my granny had all those politics. And uh, But I think what's important is, is that it's okay to have party politics. It's okay to, you know, fight for your team and believe in it. Uh, it's okay to go to bat for them because, you know, in Tim Hortons when everyone's ranting about the government, you know, you got to want to have at least one friend at the table. So <laughs> wait a minute. Come on. Let's be fair here. But you got to – it's also up for the party to revitalize itself with its members. It's got to – it can't take it for granted. And there's got to be a reason people buy it, not because your grandfather voted New Democrat or not because your grandmother met Tommy Douglas. Uh, you gotta, you've got to revitalize with people, and things change. And that's where party politics um, has to make itself relevant. You've got to say, this is 21st century, it's 2016. What are we offering that makes actually people want to sign a membership? And I think that's an important thing because sometimes politicians take – the grassroots for granted they've because we're focused we got our you know we got our message box and we got our team but you know it's like are we speaking language that people back home actually even hear or get or understand if we're not speaking to them then what the hell are we doing so i have a question um you know maybe to uh you know we've been we've been kind of dumping on you know government not always working and you know we've been talking about party party lines but has there been a point where, or a like a private members bill that you might have brought forward, or, or some work that you've done with someone across the aisle that you are actually proud of that, that that got done, and that there was actually you know uh, actually work and team not teamwork, but you know actual uh, productive work done with someone who you know isn't your political stripe, someone who who might have been a conservative member at the time or a liberal that actually got you know got brought to the table or got got brought to parliament, voted on, and actually succeeded because you guys worked so so well together or it, it went well. Uh, well, there's been a, a, numerous cases at committee hearings on all manner of stuff, on artists, uh, royalties, on uh, farm policies, where I worked. You know, you got to work at committee with people from other parties. Uh, just recently, during the uh, brutal Attawapiskat suicide crisis, um, I talked to the Prime Minister about it. I talked to Carolyn Bennett on how do we make, how do we work together? You know, it's not about me burning the government over a crisis. Mm-hmm. We yeah. all need to work together. And they worked well. And the prime minister talked about, well, what do you need me to do? And uh suggestion was, how about we bring down a group of young people from, from NAN territory, Treaty 9, let the young people speak truth to power. And he said, okay, we'll do that. So that was a way of, like, making something not... uh confrontational. There was a bigger issue here. We had to find a solution. The minister went with me to Attawapiskat. We met, we talked, um, and then the prime minister said, okay, what do you want me to do? And we said, how about bringing down a bunch of young people? Because they're fantastic. These young people were just amazing. And and some of them have lived in such dire poverty and nobody's ever given them the chance to speak in a in the halls of power. And so that was that's an example of how to do things across the political spectrum to say let's put this ahead and I I asked for an emergency debate on the suicide crisis and we had members of all parties 
um, speak. And almost everyone spoke well because all of us have an interest in making sure young people don't kill themselves. And there's no point in drawing stupid partisan lines here. Like, there's a big issue here. Let's do it. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's been something I've been really proud of. And that's what I try and do. I mean, I always say to the government, like, you know, it's... I can get you in the House of Commons on any manner of issues, but I'd rather you actually fix the thing. So Mm -hmm. how about I bring it to you, ask you to fix it. If you don't fix it, I'm going to deal with it in the House of Commons. Mm -hmm. But if you fix it, there's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes that we get done all the time. Yeah, and that that people don't necessarily see, right? Yeah, 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 and and that's uh, that's admiring to hear. At least it's it's nice to to at least hear that um, although people feel like there's nothing else, there's nothing that goes on, there's nothing that that gets done. That there are still those kind of all branches that are being uh, that are being put out, and and people are working together and getting some stuff done. Um, I definitely like for you to elaborate a little bit on the Ottawa Piscat uh, situation. Not not just the well, I mean the suicide crisis was was something that was uh, horrible uh but atawapiscat has been in the national spotlight mm-hmm. for how many a couple of years now uh and uh, thanks in part to the efforts that that you've put forward um and i know a lot of your work recently in the past few years has centered around uh education uh indigenous uh, education um one of the things that I learned a lot about reading your book, uh, Children of the Broken Treaty, was the fact that the schools on um, uh, in First Nations don't uh, aren't run the same way mm-hmm. as provincial systems. Yeah. Not at all. I think people that that would be huge news to most people because I think a lot of people they they hear about it and they don't necessarily know that there's there are huge massive differences about uh, the way it's run uh, how there's one bureaucracy that runs everything rather than you know we have ministries that run, yep. that run everything separately right so I, I don't know if you can elaborate a little bit on your work uh, in that area and uh, where you think that's going uh, well education is something I become very passionate about so I'll, I'll give you an example of the lesson I learned that just blew my mind. So I was a school board on a Northeast Catholic representing O'Gorman and the, the Catholic schools of the area. So we're a small rural school board. So I kind of learned a little bit about how school boards run. And they run, there's formulas like, you know, money set aside based, it's called per capita funding, right? So you count how many students are in the classroom. The, the province gives money based on how many students. Schools are built according to a certain formula. They're built. The classrooms are a certain size. You don't. You can't chintzy uh, short size the classrooms. These are all mathematical formulas. Well, none of those formulas exist at Indian Affairs. You get what whatever they give you. So, one of the stories that uh, makes one of the reasons I decided to run. I was working for the Algonquin Nation in Quebec. We were meeting the Indian Affairs Minister. This was two thousand and three. So, you know, it was a good community I worked in, and we had this great little school. We couldn't get a dime for special education. But they would spend them, if you took the child out of the reserve school and shipped them to a public school, they would pay the public school. So we had an example. We had this child who was badly, badly handicapped. They would put this child on a bus, ship the child. It was right on the Quebec border. They'd ship the child into Ontario, 26 kilometers, with an adult, on a bus, pay for the bus, pay for the adult. The child would sit in the hall in an Ontario public school all day with an adult watching them, and they'd pay for that, then they'd pay for them to come home. This was the federal government was paying this. So we sat down with the minister and said, all that money 
that you're paying to ship this little boy out of our community, why don't you put it into our school and we will hire some special ed teachers? And we could hire three teachers and that child will stay in the community. And the Indian Affairs Minister said, hmm, well, I don't know about that. And I thought, wait a minute, something's really wrong here. Like, this is how buggered up this system is. The basic things about improving children's education are stopped all the time. So you had an Attawapiskat children being educated on a toxic site where they were being exposed to class one threat to human health of cancers. Uh, kids getting sick, uh, no math books, nothing. And it just went on year after year, and government seemed to think it was okay. And it took the fight of Shannon Kustashin, and it was probably the proudest thing I've ever been involved in. When we fought that all the way to the United Nations, just to get a school built. So um, there are huge inequities, and it's still going on. So when you talk about kids giving up hope, I mean, kids are dropping out of school in some of these communities in grade three because the classrooms are so dirty, and they're so underfunded, and they're sharing math books. Like, that's got to stop. And if it's the one thing I do before I'm done my political life is the days that kids go to school in substandard conditions, that's going to end. So do you think that improving that is um, a way of of finding a way to to be able to convert that to some type of uh, emulation of the provincial system? Or is it just more money? Well, I mean, we have in the provincial systems the highest standard of public education in the world. So ain't rocket science. What works? All you got to do is follow what works. Indian Affairs will not follow the provincial systems. They will not do it, uh, partly because they won't spend the money. And number two, I think it's at this colonial mentality that it doesn't matter what benefits the kids. Uh, it's what's good for the department. And I say that not with cynicism. I have obtained thousands and thousands and thousands of pages of internal documents. That's what Children of the Broken Treaty, my book, is all based on internal documents. I've never once, ever, seen in all those documents a bureaucrat say, geez, man, things are bad here, or man, these kids really need help. Never, never, never once. The bureaucracy at Indian Affairs has always been a belligerent force, and it's undermined kids, and kids have died, and kids are still dying from being denied medical services uh, through Health Canada, being denied basic education, being denied special ed, uh, being denied proper schools so that they're having to leave home at 13. Like, that ain't conscionable in a country like ours. And so uh, I'm very passionate about it. And it's the thing I feel like we got to fight for because you give a child a proper education and a sense of hope at a young age, and you're going to turn... These kids are going to turn this country around for the better. And I see the potential in the young people on the coast. When I'm up in Attawapiskat and Cash, I see fantastic young kids. I see kids in Fort Albany. And the fact that they're giving up in grade 7 because they just don't see a future, wow, what kind of nation are we that we'd allow that to happen? Mm-hmm. And I, and I think uh, and if anybody is listening, and, and I'd really recommend the read because um, I think in your book, you, you definitely do a good job of tracing that history you know of those those internal discussions and documents that that kind of trace that colonial history that yep. we have in Canada it's one of the things that i i, I mean i got to admit i was barely aware of and uh it was it, it was good and enlightening to read and uh definitely kind of uh, evolved my positions on certain things uh but where do you think the pushback comes from this like uh, 
do you think that in the public sense, like the fact that that certain people just basically go like, listen, you know, the the amount of money we send to add Wapiscat is just uh, outlandish. Why why do you think that kind of stuff comes about? I mean, you hear pushback all the time. I always hear pushback, but you know, some people like to bitch about everything. It doesn't. It shouldn't actually base ourselves on public policy. Go to Tim Hortons. <laughs> we know that. When, right? when have you ever sat around at Tim Hortons and, yep. and seen six guys sit around and say something positive, right? <laughs> like, you go to Tim Hortons, get your cup, and it's like, what are we going to bitch about today? Oh, God, this, that, and the other, right? It's like, yeah, so they do. So, you know, um, but I feel uh, that the vast majority of Canadians want this fixed. They don't know how to fix it. They just want it fixed. Uh, Canadians have learned from the truth and reconciliation. I mean, what was done in these residential schools and what was done in the residential schools on James Bay, uh, I mean, these were criminal acts of a monstrous nature, and we're just beginning to learn about that. So I think Canadians just want this fixed. So, yeah, there's always going to be pushback. There's going to be pushback about everything you do, right? So I, I always say to people, like, you know, if, you, if you're upset with me, for fighting to get a kid a school, well, then we probably are not going to like the rest of the stuff I do. So you know what? Don't vote for me, please. I got to uh, I gotta say, uh, you're, you're talking about, you know, like pushback. You don't just listen to the negative stuff. Uh, full disclosure, I did man phones in, yep. in your election office uh, during the last election, and I've also knocked on doors mm-hmm. with you. Uh, so I got to watch, you know, how you operate a bit because, you know, I, I've had some political uh, kind of, uh, you know, I don't know. Aspirations? Your aspirations or, or yearnings. <laughs> yeah. I just, you know, something I, I like and I do, uh, I, I do like to be out in the community and all that. But I got to say, I, I did see, there was a few things I saw that, uh, you know, I got to say, I commend you on. It was actually very inspiring. One of them was just, you were on the phone, an individual called you, called you and I guess was just bitching about individuals on ODSP or, you know, workers comp and how these people on ODSP get so much money and they're, you know, they're taking all this money to the bank and you told them, all right, you know what, listen, on ODSP, you get what six hundred dollars every two weeks. If you you know if you're renting a house in Timmins, you're you're paying minimum nine hundred dollars yeah, a month. Yeah. That leaves you very little to live on food and whatnot afterwards. So the idea that you hit the lottery for an ODSP and you, you almost told them to f off, well, almost you didn't, but you yeah. literally said that's that's ridiculous. This is what the facts are. And you know what? I I, I heard that and I was you know I kind of I had my I hung up my phone, was listening in, and I you know I thought like you know what that is something that you stuck by your guns uh, and you you didn't just you know kind of do a populist type thing you actually you know you, you told them what the facts are and kind of what this is and you're like you know what if that's one reason why you're not gonna vote for me well too bad but this is what i believe in and actually i commend you on that i thought it was actually amazing and you know, like and you're talking about you have to you, you have to stand up for what you believe in and like i don't know i really enjoy that and i gotta say well thank you no like, you know it's um I, I really appreciate that but it's like man why are people always blaming on the person two steps down on the rung right it's yep, like uh, exactly. we heard a lot of stuff Punch on the down. phones about the Syrians right and the Syrians are coming to this country and they don't belong here and it's like I always sit up to say to people do you know anything about Northern Ontario what do you mean I'm from Northern Ontario it's like the Syrians built Northern Ontario mm-hmm. Syrian families like uh, through Kirkland Lake Cobalt Timmins you see you know how amount of Syrian families were here in the beginning and guess what if you were here in Timmins in the beginning, you were just another immigrant too, exactly. and none of us were all that welcome, yeah. right? And mm-hmm. uh, or think but, about it, Italians weren't welcomed after the yeah. Second World War, not yeah. at all. Yeah. They didn't. They, people didn't want them here. Yeah, and uh, you know, one of my favorite Italians in the city of Timmins. I'm not going to mention his name because I didn't ask his permission. But in the whole Syrian backlash in the election, he stopped me and he said, "You know what? I remember watching my parents go down to the Timmins police and be registered every month as a foreign threat." 
And these were good, hardworking people. So, you know, these these cycles happen, and we got to know our own history. We got to be aware of that. Like, uh, there was a time when the the real threat in Timmins were the Finnish. The, the Finnish, Finnish problem. community. The Finnish, the Finnish problem. problem. Yeah. Yep. There were there were there were newspaper editorials calling for the wholesale deportation of Finlanders yeah. to wow. get them out of our country. Oh, they fought against the yeah. Soviets with the Germans. They were yeah. allies with the Germans. So they were the enemy. And then the right. other ones were the ones who who were the pro-Russians. Uh, so yeah. Yeah. the Finnish, there was a huge uh, backlash. So you know, it's like what it's these are cycles, and we just. But I I always say to people like. You know, they, they they blame the refugee. They blame the, you know the First Nation kid in Attawapiskat. They blame somebody. It's like you're blaming because you're angry because you don't have a medical doctor. You're angry because you don't have a pension. You have a right to be angry about some of this, but you're putting your anger in the wrong place. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. So let's always remember why you're falling behind, and it's not the person two steps below you on the rung. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a system that's problematic, and maybe we can help you with that. But if you just want to blame someone on ODSP, uh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> my you know, God. And you've you said know, it so much better than yeah, I wanted yeah, to. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, like, yeah. You know, perfect. Uh, so how, how are we doing? Yeah, I yeah, think yeah, that's yeah, a hard yeah. Well, yeah. you know what? Uh, we, we've exhausted a good amount of your time, and yeah. thank you so much for coming in tonight. I uh, really appreciate you recording the podcast with us. Uh, we could come back. Much, we can come back. Yeah. Damn. No, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely come we'll do back. It, yeah, and, we'll do a follow-up. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. No, that'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, thanks so much. And um, for just uh, for, for um, uh, social media sake and all that kind of stuff, they, where can people find you online? Well, uh, Charlie Angus and Charlie J. Angus on Facebook, uh, Twitter, Charlie Angus NDP. Um, most people, man, I don't, I don't know anybody in the North who's not on my Facebook page, but I do Facebook is my way of talking to people. I do a, every, every morning I post some articles for people to read, to discuss. Uh, I post a bit of what I'm doing. I post what I'm doing in the house. I post where I'm going, and I also post songs of the day. So uh, I love that part. Yep, yeah, we happy, just. Uh, <laughs> I'm just looking at a new theme. You know, we sort of. I was doing Clash Week last week. Oh, and, enjoyed that. Uh, yeah, I was thinking. Of, I did Glam Week once. All those early '70s glam rockers, and I got no pickup. <laughs> it was the only thing I never got I like any why. pickup. <laughs> I was like, so I'm feeling I got to go back there. I was, maybe it just wasn't. It was the time of the season or the time of the moon. But I. I you know, I love music, so that's a great way of reaching out with people. I always post a song of the day, and I'm always surprised. I'll be in, like, you know, at the, the lumber yard, and some guy will come out and say, Hey, how's it going? And I said, Geez, how are you doing, sir? And he goes, <laughs> Oh, every morning I say, What's Charlie got on his music? I, I'm learning all kinds of music I never listened to. And I said, You're my Facebook friend? He goes, Of course I am. <laughs> so, Well, I, I have a suggestion. I was actually listening to this when I was leaving from the gym today, Was and I was just listening to like anti authority songs, like all these punk rock songs, Pennywise, F the Authority, yeah. uh, yeah, Interrupters, yeah, yeah. Take uh, Take uh, Take Back to Power. I was looking at that today, so I would you know suggesting something like that. You know, okay, so like, I did I did I did the top eleven of the summer of punk. Uh, okay. my my yes. top finals of yeah. the top. It was supposed to be the top ten, but I turned it up to eleven. So the top because <laughs> this was the fortieth anniversary of the summer of punk. So okay. maybe I got to do second generation punk maybe. next. Maybe. Yes, uh, yes. yes. <laughs> before, but right before we wrap up, yeah. I got to share one short little story. Uh, you saw that SG Junior that yeah. I got on the wall there, right? Funny little story about that. I picked that up at a place called Guitar City in New Liskard. Yeah, and uh, I'm sure you're very, very familiar with that place. And uh, the, the day I was checking it out, uh, you walked in, <laughs> picked up, uh, I believe it was an acoustic guitar off the wall, and just sat there, strummed it a bit, and uh, walked out. And in my head, I was thinking, I was like, oh, I should have. 
I should have said something to Charlie. Yeah. You know, like I, I, not- I, I was noticed. Was I playing the theme there. from Stairway to Heaven? Uh, no, <laughs> no, no one plays Wave Stairway World? in a guitar World? shop. Not allowed. No. <laughs> so I and I was like, ah, you know what? I probably blew my chance to ever say something there. Yeah, just yeah. Uh, ask him a question. And uh, lo and behold, uh, Charlie came out tonight. So uh, no, thanks again. And you for, bought that uh, guitar, at, uh, and I didn't see it. Man, I'm <laughs> myself now. <laughs> it's a nice guitar. It's for, a beautiful for, for, guitar. Be- beautiful sound for a three hundred dollar guitar. Wow. So yeah. uh, thanks again for uh, for coming out and joining us tonight. And uh, Jay, if you want to sign us off, do I want to sign us off? Do, do I know? You want to sign us do off? I, don't you know? What, uh, I have nothing for today. I don't know. What you're always, you're always the guy with the quips. I guess we'll go back with uh, you know what we used last uh, three three episodes so far. I think sure. Uh, well, thanks very much for joining us. If it wasn't for the beer, there wouldn't be the bullshit. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers. Thanks. Cheers. Here we there go. go. There we go. Thanks, gentlemen. Thanks so much. <laughs>